Good morning. Merry Christmas. Nice, nice. Good to see you this morning. What we're going to do here is we're going to jump into the second part of our focus series. You know that we've been working really hard with the consultant and we've landed on a mission statement and we've been sharing that several times over the month of November and now we're coming into December and we want to basically finish that this coming week in terms of explaining it and then we of course want to start and continue to live that out. And so let's go ahead and review that. Here it is on the screen. Northwest Community Church will glorify God, make disciples by passionately guiding generations through gospel transformation one home at a time. Two weeks ago, we talked about what does it mean to make disciples by guiding generations, passionately guiding generations one home at a time. This morning, what we're going to talk about is we're going to talk about what does it look like for us as a church to, to go through gospel transformation. That's the second part of our statement that we're going to take a look at today. If you remember two weeks ago, we told you that in order to passionately guide generations through gospel transformation one home at a time, we realized and we understood that the love of God and a love for God, that when we love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, that that love for him, it stirs up a passion in us to help others know him so that we might commend him, as Psalm 103 says, to other generations. And so as we get ready to go into what does gospel transformation look like, what I want us to do is sort of just paint the picture as we get there. You, this time of year, all of you are going to have encounters with people that you don't normally run into. Probably once a year encounters. And most of the time you're going to come in and to see them. And if you have kids, they're going to look at them like Aunt Betty or Uncle Norm or something, something along the lines. They're going to look at them and say, oh my gosh, you've changed so much. You've, been, you've changed so much. And if you have a 12-year-old son, they're going to look, oh my gosh, he's really been transformed because now he's talking real deep and, and all this kind of stuff. So you, you, you take a look at what happens in terms of change. And, and we don't want to take a look at how the gospel changes. We, we see things all the time that, that change. We, we see a cat, a kitten, that is, starts out as a sweet little kitten and turns into the pawn of Satan. <laughs> Hashtag dogs are better. <laughs> Then we have trees, and you have a tree, and if you take a tree, it's this little twig of a tree. You can't even, like, hang on the branches, and you plant it in your yard, and, you know, several years later, it's, like, bigger, and it's growing, and, and maybe you have kids in the neighborhood that are climbing on that tree because it's been transformed. It's changed. It's different than it was when it started. And you have flowers, and you might take a little potted flower and plant that in the yard, and the next thing you know, it's just this massive, great flower this bush has just overtaken your yard in some cases and then and then dogs you know you have this cute little puppy and then they turn into man's best friend especially a yellow lab that's what I think we as humans we change okay we look different I remember uh several years ago for for most of my life with my wife we had her granddad his name is Max White and good old Max would always tell you how you're doing at Christmas time based on your weight Max, God bless him, you'd walk into the room, and I remember one Christmas I walked into the room, and he says, you're packing it on, aren't you? Appreciate that, granddad. So he would be sort of a measure of telling you, have you changed? Have you been transformed? But, but I would say that nothing has been, nothing has experienced more transformation than Nickers the cow from Australia. Nickers is six foot four and weighs 3,000 pounds. 
Nickers is six foot four and 3,000 pounds and has broken the internet. Okay? He's pretty big. He's like famous. So that's radical transformation right there. Nickers the cow. Okay? Here's what we want and what we want to be about and what we recognize is we recognize that the gospel, the type of growth that we want is growth that is rooted and founded in the gospel and nowhere else. It is that place, it is that home where we will be who God's called us to be and how we can impact this world by why we're, which is the reason why we've been left here. And so what we want to do is sort of unpack this statement through gospel transformation. And I want to break these terms down for you before we jump into Ephesians chapter four. The word through, that was a really carefully chosen word. Um, originally when we wrote the statement, it was, it was to gospel transformation. And then after talking with our elders and taking a look at it, we wanted to, we, we changed the word from to, to through gospel transformation because we absolutely believe that, yes, God changes us initially, but there's an ongoing process that takes place and it is through his constantly working in us and through us to do what he wants us to be and who we can be. It, it's not necessarily, we don't want to look at it as a destination so to speak. One day, one day, we will be perfected. But when we talk about through gospel transformation, what we are talking about and what we look at is we want progress, not perfection. But we go after what God wants us to be about. The word gospel, you've heard us say this several times from this stage, that the word gospel just completely defined means good news. It's good news. But in order to understand the good news and appreciate the good news, we've got to understand and, and understand the bad news. And the bad is really bad. It is that we are separated from God because of sin and there is absolutely nothing that we can do about it. Ephesians 2 says that we are dead, we are not broken. We are dead. And so when it, in regards to our position and our standing before God, there is nothing we can do to fix that. But listen, praise God, he can and he did. And so we recognize that the good news is really good when we understand how bad the bad news is. Isaiah says we are like filthy rags. The wages of sin is death. It's a penalty. But the gift of God is eternal life. And so we're being transformed. Through gospel, what? Transformation. What does the word transformation mean? The word transformation, clearly just definition, is a thorough or dramatic change in form or appearance. A thorough or dramatic change in form or appearance. And that's what the gospel can do. Not only do we talk different, but listen, we look different. Acts chapter 4, verse 13 says, they realized they were uneducated and untrained men, but they realized they had been with Jesus. So there was an absolute difference by way they, the way they looked and, yes, the way they talked. And we as a church want to be committed to that collectively and individually, to that transformation that takes place. Probably one of my favorite, favorite uh, stories about gospel or about the word transformation and gospel transformation happened uh, uh, through a story of my father-in-law, Phil Gloss, who preached for years. Um, and so he said, Matt, one time, sometimes, you know, Matt, you get up on stage and you say something that you just, it didn't come out quite right. And he says, one day I was telling a story about gospel transformation and I was talking about how, you know, the Lord comes in and changes your life and he says, it's like a caterpillar. It's like a caterpillar. And it just, it's a caterpillar for a long time. And then it goes into a cahoon. And it goes, turns into a butterfly. 
And he said, at the end of the message, I kept saying, or beginning throughout the message, I kept saying, that caterpillar goes into a cocoon and it turns into a butterfly. And at the end of the message, this lady, the 60-year-old lady came up to me and said, for my whole life, I thought it was a cocoon. <laughs> You've convinced me that I was wrong. She said, he said, did I say cocoon? He said, I want you to know that it is a cocoon, okay? And it is what what, what God desires for us to be about, what he desires to do in our lives is to change us. It is a thorough, it is a dramatic change in form. And that's what we as a church will be about until he comes back. And Ephesians chapter four kind of helps us get into that and talk about that a little bit, a little bit more. You might be sitting here going, Matt, how do we know we need to be changed? How do we know that we need to be transformed? I don't think I need to spend a lot of time on telling why, but I listened to a message this week from 1989, a guy by the name of Tim Keller. And he said this, he says, you want to know if you need to be changed or transformed by the gospel? He said, just ask yourself the question, when's the last time you gossiped? When's the last time you bragged on yourself in front of everybody? And when is the last time you defended yourself to the point of losing a relationship. So I submit that to you. How do we know we need to be transformed? Well, just think about those things. Have I gossiped? Has I, have I bragged on myself, boasted on myself, and have I defended myself to the point of losing a relationship? I don't think we need to spend a lot of time to say, yeah, we do. We need to be transformed, and we can be transformed. And the text says that we can be because God is so good, and there's no one like him. The book of Ephesians was written by a guy by the name of Paul, and we're familiar with Paul. He's written a lot of books in the New Testament. Um, he was uh, a persecutor of the church, and he killed Christians. And then all of a sudden, God changed him in Acts chapter 9, and he comes and he uh, is planting churches all over the place. And, and what it's modern-day Turkey and Asia Minor. And so here we see that Paul writes a book to the Ephesian, the, the church at Ephesus, the, the Ephesian believers. And he writes a book, to, writes a letter to them, basically, trying to tell them, hey, listen, I want to remind you what you have. He was there for two years teaching them all that he knew about God and how they could follow him and be used by him. And he is looking back in prison and he's writing them a letter. And so it's chapters one, two, and three. He basically says, this is what you have. I don't want you to forget this. In Ephesians chapter one, verse four, it says, he lavished his love on us. I get so overwhelmed and so taken back when I hear that word lavished. He lavished his love for us. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, it says, he chose us before the foundation of the world. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, it says we're dead. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, it says, but God, who stepped in and changed everything. And so then and we get to chapters 4, 5, and 6, excuse me, at the end of chapter 2, he says, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that he, he prepared for us in advance. And then he just goes into chapter, gets to chapter four, and he says, okay, now I want to show you how. Now I want to demonstrate how, how you can do this. He's so concerned about them living out the gift by which they have received. And I believe God is too, that Paul is echoing the heart of God, that he's so concerned that we live out what we believe, that we're open and surrendering ourselves to this beautiful message that changes us from the inside out, and it's obvious, and we are different because of him. I like Ephesians chapter four because Paul does get a little saucy in his language. He gets a little firm 
because he doesn't want them to live the old way. He wants them to live in the new way. And of course, we'll get to that in just a minute. The churches at Ephesus were surrounded by rank, rank paganism, gross sexual immorality. It boasted, the, the city of Ephesus boasted of the great temple of Artemis and, and, and making shrines to Artemis and, and the god of Diana. And it was a playground for gross immorality and rampant sinfulness. Here's a quote for you. The church at Ephesus was a small island of despised pe- people in a giant cesspool of wickedness. And let me understand something to you. The sovereign God that we serve instructed Paul to take this beautiful message and go and set up shop in the middle of this cesspool of wickedness. Put him right there in the middle and said, go for it. You've got an unbelievable message. He is beautiful. We just sang. And so Paul comes and he is going to encourage them to live for him and let them see the new life. So what I'm going to do is we've got Ephesians chapter 4, 17 through 5, 2. 17 through 5, 2. And then we've got three points that will summarize everything as we uh, conclude. Okay, so we're going to read a couple of verses, talk about it, read a couple of verses, talk about it, and then we'll summarize there at the end. Here's the first verse that I want to read to you is verse 17. It says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Understand this, this is not a racial thing. This is basically just you're either a believer or you're not a believer. And the Gentiles represented those who were not believers. And so he's saying to them right now is, hey, I know you were born in this city. I know you grew up in this city. I know you were running with them. I know you went to the the places they went to. And I know you said some of the things that they did. And I know you did some things that they did. But here's what I want you to know right now, is I want you to not walk as the Gentiles walk because you're not that person anymore. So he says, hey, don't walk as the Gentiles walk. All right, keep going. And this is where the Gentiles, he even summarizes, this is where he gets a little saucy right now. I think it's awesome. <laughs> it's he looks at him and he says, he says um, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. And here he summarizes, it says, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. He's looking at them and telling them that in the futility of their minds, you have to understand that this is an incredibly educated city. It is based on intellectualism. And he's telling them, they may be smart in a book sense right now, but they do not know what is the way of life. And he says, the word futility is basically defined as empty. So they can puff up themselves with all this academia. But listen, if they don't know Jesus, they're empty. They're empty. He says, also, what are they? Listen, we want to be in the light and walking in the light. That's what the scripture teaches us. He says, they are darkened in their understanding. They're alienated from the life of God. Do you want to be alienated from the life of God? I sure don't, and I don't want you either. That's not living a transformed life. Because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. Let's keep going to 19. They have become, here's what happens when you push God away, you're callous to the things of God and you're sitting in the cesspool of wickedness. What happens? It says they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality. Listen, this phrase wrecked me two weeks ago and even this week. Greedy to practice every kind of impurity. That's what they desire. That's what they want. This is the way of those that are not believers. This is the old life. This is what you did. 
I don't want you to do this anymore. I don't want you to walk in those environments that would tempt you to do such things. It says that they were greedy for impurity. And this is beautiful in verse 20. It is unbelievable because here's these, this great conjunction. And we have this conjunction. We want to know what's its function. Okay. Yeah, yeah, okay. All right. So we want to know what's the function. And so we look at that conjunction and we say, but, but this is not the way you learned Christ. This is not the way you learn. This is not the way you grow. Being in this cesspool of wickedness is not going to give you the life that you want. It's not going to give us the church that we want. It's, that's not the way. Verse 21, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as, here it is, here it is, as the truth is in who? It's in Jesus, and the truth will set you free. Verse 22, oh boy, he comes down here and he's talking about putting on and putting off, and it's talking about clothes. It gives an analogy to clothes, and he says, okay, here's the deal, 22, I want you to put off your old self. He's, he's basically saying, hey, listen, you read Ephesians 2. You go back two chapters. That person was dead. Now he's alive. Stop acting like you're a dead person. Stop living like that. Which belongs to you in your former life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. 23, here's what I want. And to be renewed. It's a process. In the spirit of your minds. So I want you to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. I want your mind to be transformed by the gospel. But over here, if you're living like a Gentile, it says you're futile in your mind. You're empty. Over here, the spirit comes in and takes over our mind. And verse 24, and I want you to put on the new self. I want you to take off that jacket and I want you to put this new one on. Because you are a new creation 2 Corinthians 5.17 says. I, I love, um, I, I, some of you know this, but I have since 2012 been a, been a chaplain for the Cary Fire Department. And what, is my, what, am I, what am I responsible for doing? Basically what I do is Station 7 and Station 8. So the one right here on 55 and Carpenter Fire Station and the one by Mills Park Middle School up that way on Green Level Church Road. I just go in and check on the guys. They see a lot of things. Um, some of them don't go to church and some of them do go to church and I'll just check on them a couple of times a week and I'll walk in there. I've eaten with them a couple of times, brought my boys up there, the guys dress up and I mean, it's just, it's been really, really neat to say, hey, you, you have been able to see some really tough things. I wanna make sure that you have an opportunity to talk about it and if the opportunity comes available, would you please let me share the gospel with them? That's really the motivation. So a couple of times, um, most recently, I was asked, to come downtown Cary to the new promotion of the new, of the new cadets, the new firemen that were being promoted. And so they have this big ceremony and they all get dressed up in their nice uniforms, the blue uniforms, the pins on them and, and their families are there. And they say, Matt, will you come and will you do the invocation? Will you pray and bless our time together? I'm like, I would love to. So I showed up and I had on my blue blazer and a tie and I came there and I'm standing up there. I'm with the chief of Cary the chief of uh, fire, Carrie, uh, Chief Kane, and uh, I was talking to the assistant chief, and they come over to me, and they look at me, and they say, where's your uniform? And I was like, I don't have one. And he's like, we're going to change that. You're going to take that jacket off, and we're going to give you a uniform. And I'm like, that's awesome. <laughs> that's unbelievable. And I'm like, I'm one of you guys. So I can't wait for my blue uniform to come. And listen, let me just tell you something right now. I will preach in that thing. <laughs> I 
Okay. Oh gosh. That wasn't in my notes. <laughs> oh boy, that's exciting. And so I'm just sitting here and I'm going like this. He said, you know, Paul's sitting here like this. Like, hey, take that off. Put this on. Because you don't look like that anymore. So quit acting like it. I'm getting fired up. Let's go. 25. 25, he says, therefore, after everything I just said, after everything I just said, this guy is futile in their mind. They're ignorant. They're callous. Their hearts are hardened. He says, therefore, having put away falsehood, don't you believe lies about who God said you are? Live in the truth that you are fearfully and wonderfully made and that you are loved by King Jesus. Leave that. Believe it. Don't believe the falsehood. And then he says, oh, keeps going. He gets real, 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 real true with us about our words. Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. So it's, hey, I've got the truth that's within me. And listen, when you're transformed, it's hard to keep that in. So it's, hey, speak the truth with one another. Because this message that's transforming you can transform the one next to you. So don't hold it in. Let our yes be yes, and the, tra- the gospel transforms our commitment to telling the truth. Verse 26, this is so important for every relationship that you have. It is so important for this Christmas, for what we're getting ready to see. The f- encounters that you're going to have with family members, they will tick you off. They will say things that they shouldn't say. But this is a very important verse right here for us. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And give no opportunity for the devil. Because when we harbor that bitterness and we harbor that anger in us, it just gives the devil a footstool, a footstool in our life. Jesus was angry when he came into the temple and he saw them buying and selling and trading and doing all this stuff. And he says, ho, ho, ho. He flipped over the table because he was angry because what was at stake was the gospel. What was at stake was the gospel. So yes, is it okay to get angry? We're made with emotions. It is okay to get angry. But we don't get angry and sin, and there's a fine line for that. And how do we understand that? The spirit of the living God that is in us. Because in the flesh, oh no, we will say things we should not. So verse 28 says, let the thief no longer steal but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Here is what he's saying. The old person, that old person, that person that was living in Ephesus, that was running around with just doing whatever they wanted, that person, what he would do is he would steal to get. And he's reminding them, yes, you live in this way, and that's how you accumulated your stuff, by which you stole from other people. He says, that's not the new way. That's not the way we do things. That is not. You believe that God will take care of, that God will provide, and you work hard, is what he's telling them. And I just could not preach this without confessing to you that in the fifth and sixth grade, when my dad was not looking, I would go into his drawer, I would open up the drawer, and he had this trophy of a baseball glove that our team gave to him, and in the drawer was piled full of quarters. And I would go into that drawer and I would take at least 50 cents every single day in the fifth grade because I could not say no to the orange dream sickle. I stole from my dad and I got an ice cream. Just want to confess that to you. 
So the transformed life is recognizing that God will provide in everything that we need or we have. Verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up and fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Corrupting originally means rotten, and the tongue is so difficult to control, as we said just a minute ago. And so, yes, he's telling us to walk this way and talk this way, of course, but what he's saying here is I want you to make sure that you understand how dangerous, how dangerous our speech can be in the life of a believer. It can tear down or it can build up. Verse 30, it says this, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. The new life of gospel transformation is possible simply by the Holy Spirit. Then he comes on to verse 31 and it says this. I need you to understand, let all bitterness. You gotta understand that word before bitterness. Let all, all bitterness. And I'll even say this, and all wrath, and all anger, and clamor, and slander, what a, be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. The natural tendency of our lives is to be negative, to be cynical, and to see things what God has not done as opposed to what he has done. He's trying to convince us and show us that a life that is submitted to the spirit of God that allows the gospel message to transform us will allow us to use our words to build up and not tear down so that a world will see that we are different and that we have been transformed like we said we have been. Then he summarizes it all up here in verse five, excuse me, chapter five, verse one. He says, therefore, after everything I just said over there, what do I want you to do? I want you to imitate God. He's the model. I want you to imitate God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. A fragrant offering where we get our word perfume or a sweet smelling incense to God, offering and sacrifice to God. And so our walk was so important to Paul. Yes, he wanted to see that we were changed by the gospel, not just in being saved, but also in our walk. And so I want us to take a look at what do we see about gospel transformation. What do we learn about gospel transformation through this text? If I could just summarize this here in our time together. If, if we take a look at a couple of things right now, what, what is the first thing that we see? Well, well if we remember 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that if any person gives their life to Christ, they become what? A new person or a new creation. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. And so the first thing that I want you to see right now is very clearly that the gospel transforms our standing before God. We must see and recognize that when we were born into this world, we are born separated from him and there is nothing that we can do about it. Nothing. And the gospel comes in to transform the way that we stand before God. When God looks at us before we repent and, 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 and follow him and say yes to him, he looks at us and sees our sins. But when the gospel comes in to change our standing, when God looks at us, he does not see our sins. He sees the forgiveness. He sees his son standing before us. 
And so we need to understand that. What does the gospel do? The gospel transforms our standing before God, which is critical for you and I to live out this statement that we said we were gonna do. And we're gonna passionately guide generations through gospel transformation one home at a time. We must recognize that our standing before God, that we are justified before him, that we are clean before him. Doesn't mean that we continually repent, but from a time where we just ask him, God, I want you to save me. And in that moment, our position has been changed. That moment that our position has been changed. And so then we jump down here and we see, well, what, what, else, what else do we see? What else? Well, verse, excuse me, number two, is the gospel transforms our walk. Verses 25 all the way to 5.2. I'll just sort of walk through this a little bit in summary. Uh, in, in, in chapter 17, he says, um, the gospel transforms our walk. And he says, I don't want you to walk this way, the way of the Gentiles. In verse 17, he also says the way we think. So the, the gospel changes our minds, our, our minds, the, what we think. The gospel changes the way we talk. He said, put away all falsehood. In verse 26, uh, when we get angry. So the gospel transforms our emotions or keeps them in check. And in, in, in verse 28, it says, I don't want you to seal anymore. I want you to work hard. I want you to trust God. I want you to believe that he'll provide for you. And so the gospel um, transforms how we live out this life of accumulating things. Uh, the gospel also, it, it transforms our kindness and how, how, do we, how are we to be kind and tenderhearted through the power of the spirit, verse 32. In verse 32, it also says, I want you to forgive each other as God in Christ forgave you. I want you to forgive. He, he is the example. And so if I could just summarize this in, in one way, he says, I, I want you to, okay, I just want you to love. I want you to love. Verse two, it says, I want you to walk this way and I want you to, please help me, talk this way. Can I get a holler for Aerosmith right now? I want you to walk this way and I want you to talk this way. You'll remember that. He said, but okay, but what about this? How, how, would, how do we do this? How do we go about living this way? Okay, he's gonna change my speech. He's gonna change my mind. He's gonna change what's important to me. How do we continue to go about that? We recognize that it is an ongoing pursuit. The word sanctify means to cleanse. We use the word here, progressive sanctification. It means it's a lifelong journey to be cleaned up. That's what God wants to do. And that's what God can do. You sit there and say, well, well how do I do that? I would simply say one thing, be prepared. Be prepared, have a plan. Let me give you an example of this right now. From the text, what he's telling them right now is, hey guys, listen, you're living in this world right now. You are in Ephesus. This is the area that you grew up in, that you lived in, all right? And you're still here. You still live here, but you're different now. So I want you to be prepared how you, don't, how you can prevent yourself from talking this way, walking this way, loving this way and not this way, accumulating stuff. I want you to be prepared to do that. I had a friend who came to me. He's a guy I work out with. He just said, listen, I, need you to, I just need your prayers and I need, you, I need you, your advice. He said, this sin of pornography is just wrecking my life and I want God to transform my life. I want him to do that. One of the things right now that is overwhelming me is I travel and when I travel, that's where I just get in trouble. And I said, okay, meet with me. So we met together. I said, come on, this, this is a plan. This is how we're gonna be prepared, all right? You're gonna go to this city, all right? You're gonna listen to these sermons. You're gonna go to the main lobby of the hotel. You're gonna 
finish your meetings, you're going to eat dinner, and you're going to go to the main lobby of the hotel, and you're going to sit in there, and you're going to listen to these sermons, and you're going to listen to him preach, listen to this guy preach and speak, and you're going to listen to that for like three or four hours. That's what you're going to do. And I said, and right before you get, go back to your room, you're going to take like three pills of melatonin. <laughs> we said, hey, I just want you to take melatonin, man. And I want you to go back and I want you to go to sleep. And next day, I want you to just ask God's grace to give you strength to fight through it. But here's what happens. There's, there's the way we think and the way we talk and the way we love and the way we forgive and all this kind of stuff. So how do we do it? There, there just needs to be a plan and a preparation to do that. And that's where we together, collectively, come together and help each other out. And I would say this. If there is a time where you have messed up, I want to introduce you to a term. You've heard it before. It's called amazing grace. And don't ever forget that. It's amazing grace. And it is something we all desperately need. The last thing I want us to see is that, yes, the gospel transforms uh, our position before God. The gospel transforms our walk with God. And finally, the gospel can transform our city. Please believe that he can do that. You know, we're not here by accident. We don't live among the people that we live among and stuff like that. Here's what it says. The gospel can transform our city. If you take a look at where they are, I wanted to give you a little example of what's going on. Paul comes into Ephesus, and what is traditional for what Paul would do is he would go to the synagogue. Okay, he would go to the synagogues, and he would stand in the synagogues, and he would basically preach the gospel. Well, as he was in the city of Ephesus, and he was in the synagogues there, he was there for three months preaching the gospel. He was there talking about what the gospel can do. Well, while he was there, they got really upset at some of the things that he was saying, most specifically the resurrection of Jesus. And so he got kicked out. He literally went almost across the street just to, to another part of the city. And he went to this place where there was a school of Tyrannius. Tyrannius was an a individual who set up this place to teach Gentiles about God. And so he comes in and he goes to that place and he stays there for two years. And what does he do? He takes the people who were once Gentiles, okay? And they took off that jacket and they come over here and put on the jacket that is marked by the blood of King Jesus and he sits them down for two years and he just tells them, this is the gospel and this is what the gospel can do in your life. And here's what took place. Let me, let me read you a couple of things that, that took place. The teaching in the school of Tyrannius was so successful that those who practice magical arts brought their books and burned them, valued at 50,000 pieces of silver. Because guess what? The gospel can transform our city. I'm gonna read you what it says in Acts so that you have a full picture of this. This is Acts chapter 19. It says, and it happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul having passed through the upper regions came to Ephesus and he went into the synagogue and spoke boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading concerning the things of the kingdom of God. But when some were hardened and did not believe, but spoke evil of the way before the multitude, he departed from them and withdrew the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannius. And this continued for two years so that all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. Silver shrines began to fall off. The church was looked at as something that had some great things going on. 
their reputation was they were well organized, they were busy, and they were growing, and they were expanding, and they were doing the will of God, not because they were great people, but because they served an, an incredible God. What the gospel does to a city, this message, it did it to a city. So, the gospel can transform our city. Who are we? We are passionately guiding generations through gospel transformation, one home at a time. He is good. He's alive. He can do this. And I would sit there and say, first and foremost, has he ever positionally transformed your position before him? Have you ever looked out and said, God, I am not a believer. And I would beg you and plead with you today to say yes to him. I'm not asking you to raise your hand or come forward. I'm just asking you to seriously consider the claims of Christ. That he said, I'm the way and I'm the truth and I'm the life and no one comes to the Father except through me. I'm asking you to really, really consider who it is that we sing about, that we teach about. And I would ask you to ask him to transform your life because he will. And whether, whether right now you are, you are a believer, but you are acting like a Gentile, I would ask you in the name of Jesus to surrender and give everything over to the one who deserves everything. We are fully free to come in here as we are, but we are not free to stay that way. It is the gospel who transforms our position. It is the gospel that transforms our walk. And it is the gospel that can transform our city for his glory and our good. I love you guys. Let's pray. Lord, I love you. Thank you for who you are. You are so good. You are great. There is no one like you. Jesus, you are enough. You are sufficient. There is nothing in this world worth what you are. We recognize, God, that yes, there are times in our lives where we do look and act like Gentiles. But Lord, we as a church ask for your forgiveness for that. Help us not to do that. Help us not to say we believe and not live that out loud. We recognize that you are beautiful, that there was no one like you. We recognize that you are good even when we don't understand we recognize that you are alive. We recognize that you make us alive. So thank you for your transforming power. There is nothing like it. So use the songs that we get ready to sing as we declare that only you is our allegiance and should it be. We love you. We desperately need you. In Jesus' name I pray.